As many of you know, marketing today is quite a broad function. Most marketing leaders start their career in one area of marketing, like demand gen or content. And then as they progress into leadership roles, they're responsible for everything from brand to demand, product marketing, and sometimes even in-house creative. My guest today, Nadia Milani, has done it all. She shares how she transitioned from the brand side of marketing to demand gen to leadership roles at multiple startups. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. And I do want to just warn you that the audio on my side is not its best. It is something I'm still working on as a new podcast host. So thank you for bearing with me and hopefully you will enjoy the rest of the episode. Nadia, thank you for joining me on Standout Startup Brands. You have a really interesting and uncommon career path in that you started in a brand marketing role, moved into Demand Gen, and are now VP Marketing at Proposify. So I'm really excited to dig in and chat. So good to be here, Amrita. Thanks for having me. So let's jump in. My first question for you was, you know, when you were a brand marketer at Rogers, which was earlier in your career, Were you aware even at that time of the difference between demand and brand marketing? So really good question. Just for those who are listening and don't know what Rogers is. So Rogers is a media brand uh, here in Canada. And at the time I was a brand manager. So I worked on the FX and FXX brands that were launching in Canada. It's actually an interesting time because I also started working there when Rogers acquired NHL. So there was just like all this stuff happening and talking about brand marketing. Like it was just at the helm of like all these amazing brands at Rogers that were, they were launching kind of all at the same time. So I launched the FX brand and the viewing app in, in the Canadian market, working closely with my U.S. counterparts. But we also had a lot of agency partners that worked with my portfolio specifically, including an internal ad agency. So we had all this like amazing advertising or internal advertising and external advertising partners working together. But to answer the question, I had little or very little knowledge of what demand generation was back then because it was B2C. And all we were doing was just trying to figure how many eyeballs can we get on this particular show? And it was really about audience measurement. So like how many people were watching, even though it was kind of flawed measurement and it potentially still is, it was just completely different than what demand gen is. I have to ask, how did you end up transitioning from the brand side of marketing to a more demand-focused role and walk us through what that was like. Was it hard? Was it a smooth transition? It was a big transition for me because all of my marketing roles were really stemmed in brand. I mean, early on, I was a little bit more in like data and analytics, but the majority of my marketing roles were really in brand. So I transitioned to brand to demand when I started working at a B2B e-commerce company. So the role was really centered around like generating as many small and Soho customers as we could. So think like just trying to get as many self-serve customers, like Soho, very small customers to transact more than one or two times. So my role really became focused around analytics data and like just like super precise measurement throughout all stages of the funnel. So all of a sudden I was like, it's all the brand and creative and working with ad agencies. And all of a sudden I was just really in channel metrics and very much data driven. And I remember 
just being able to like riff off what's the revenue per email and like, what are our daily session traffic stats and like, what's our conversion on site today? And what are, what's like our, our MQL number. So I really started to like live in the data and the tools and the tech much more than I ever had done previously in my career. I remember being in the role because <laughs> we had, we were selling at the time, like thousands and thousands of SKUs. And I remember our Google AdWords, like campaigns, it was just like our Google AdWords account was just like on steroids, but in that was just really a lesson of understanding all your channel metrics, how they all work together and how does it support the brand? And so it was a really cool transition, but very, very difficult. I remember just like, oh, wow, this is like, can I even do this? <laughs> I remember at the beginning, but just like threw myself into it. And I actually ended up like falling in love with it. I just haven't left B2B ever since. This really resonates with me because I always thought of myself as a really creative person. And then I kind of discovered again, sort of this more data-driven side of marketing, which sort of scratched a different itch for me. And it sounds like that was similar to what you went through as well. I'm wondering, did you have a boss to help guide you through that? Did you have to just pick all this up yourself? Because we do have listeners who I think are maybe earlier in their career going through a similar process of potentially switching from one function of marketing to another. How did you figure that out? So yeah, when I think back, I didn't know many of the answers. I didn't really know what to do. So I really leveraged community. I was very heavy in email. So I I leveraged email geeks, for example, as a Slack community. Women of email became like my best friends. (laughs) I started to leverage marketing ops in that community because I had to launch like a new marketing automation system. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never done this before. How am I going to do this? (laughs) It really became the learning on the fly, Googling a lot. I remember just like looking up, how am I going to do this? Leveraging user groups. So if you are on a platform and don't know how to use it, just leveraging the user group community really helped me. At the time I was launching Mercado. So it was, how do I launch this? How do I learn this? And it was just fascinating. So I think one of the things I've really leaned on throughout my career is just this deep sense of curiosity. Like this is less about, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? There's a little bit of that, oh shit moment. Like what did I get myself into? But also like wow, this is really fascinating. And how am I going to make sense of this? And it was really about connecting and learning through others that helped me get through it. That's a really great point. I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, you sometimes have these moments of, oh, I don't want to share my vulnerability of not knowing something. I need to be an expert. But really, we're all learning. And I think that there's great value in reaching out to your peers. I think learning doesn't just come from mentors. It can come from people who are in the same role as you in another company, maybe they've done a particular project or a tactic ahead of you and can share some of those lessons. So definitely relate to what you were sharing about how you learned on the fly. I think that's something that a lot of us end up having to do, especially in the startup world. So now you find yourself at Proposify. I know you had a lot of other interesting roles along the way. Is your role as VP Marketing, both brand demand, you know, do you sort of have a broad team that covers both of those sides of the business? Yeah, we're a really small team. So similar to you, Marita, we have a small team. I started with just three people on my team and then one person left. So it was two. So it was very small. So I'm kind of doing it all. But currently today, it has changed a little bit in the last year. I have a marketing ops person. I have a demand gen person. I have a brand and communications person on my team. They're all amazing, super awesome and lovely. And then we have this freelancer's who also do a ton of stuff. I do say that we're small, but 
we do leverage the expertise and the experience and the magic of a lot of those freelancers. And just recently, I do also have the BDR team reporting into me, which is a whole different podcast episode, but we're 60 days into that. And that's been an interesting learning experience as well, but really we're scrappy, we're small, and we try to do as much as possible with very little. I think that's a very common scenario, especially in earlier stage startups, which is really what I want to focus on with this podcast, because I think when you're bigger and you can have a giant team, there's different challenges. And I think there's some unique challenges to building a brand from scratch or to taking on a brand when it's still in the early stages. And one thing that I wanted to talk to you about was this idea of rebranding, because I know that, again, a lot of times companies get founded and for different reasons, you know, that name doesn't necessarily work or sometimes the name's okay, but the identity needs to change. So you had mentioned to me when we were chatting before that you have gone through a rebrand experience at one of your prior roles and that you did that with an in-house team. So to start off with, I'd love to understand what prompted the rebrand. When did you know that it was actually something you needed to consider? I think there's a rebrand and there's a refresh. So I don't know where I pulled this definition from, but it's from somewhere. And sorry, if I've quoted somebody, <laughs> let me know after the podcast, but usually a rebrand is like everything changes. So you have to be, you know, maybe selling the same products or providing the same services, but you become really just something entirely new. So a rebrand, think of it like the competition is probably growing. So a brand needs to evolve too, or the audience potentially changing if you've been around for a little bit longer, or maybe there's a desire to market some new services and products or old marketing methods aren't working anymore. Maybe like SEO is plateauing, or you just notice that the market's shifting. So that's kind of the rebrand where like everything changes. The logo probably changes the design. A refresh is something that you could probably improve on based on how the brand currently is today. So if you have existing loyalty for your brand and things are just going really well, a refresh can probably help you make sure that you stay competitive and just remain on the right track. So that's kind of like the two fundamental differences. And sometimes those lines blur. I think every marketer will challenge like, this is a rebrand or this is potentially a refresh, but I feel like with a refresh, things just look different and feel a little bit different, but it still has that same essence. First of all, do you agree with those definitions? I've never actually thought about that before, but I agree. And actually my very first guest, Jared, he talked a lot about how brand strategy is really about alignment and decision-making to a large degree. And what I like about your definition is that really a rebrand, I think, is when the fundamentals are changing, who you are as a company, how you're positioning yourself, where I think a refresh is more of an evolution than a revolution. So I do like those two distinctions. And I think that there are times where you need one or the other and you don't need to conflate the two, which sometimes does happen. I'm actually writing that down. It's an evolution and a revolution. It was this cloud slash IT brand. And we were kind of at the beginning stages of COVID and we were going to hire actually an external agency to help us do the rebrand. So it was a very small boutique agency for some of the execution on the rebrand, but most of the actual rebrand I'm saying rebrand, it was a refresh happened in-house. So it all started with a positioning exercise. So that was really interesting. So if you love like April Dunford, <laughs> obviously awesome. Everyone, you know, most SaaS marketers do. So I used her principles and the time we were looking for somebody to come in and moderate that, but because of COVID, we didn't know what was going to happen. So we decided, okay, 
let's just do this internally. And I decided to take it on myself. So it was very much of a collaborative exercise across the business, bringing in key stakeholders, but understanding like who was going to be involved in the project. That was the first thing was like our old pal, the racy who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted and informed and get that buy-in from the executive team. So that's, it's easier to just work on from beginning to end. So once we did that, we started with positioning and positioning is not branding. It's not messaging. It's not any of that, but it's understanding how are we different in the market and being aligned on that. And then from there, we basically pulled in a lot of customer calls and understand like who's their ICP, what pain points are they currently experiencing and having a lot of customer interviews on what is it that they're currently experiencing? How do they engage with our brand? What's meaningful to our brand? What isn't meaningful to our brand? When they think about our brand, what feelings does that evoke? So we started to understand that. And then from there, we just started to pull up the pieces and bring in together a brand strategy an architecture. So this is the brand promise. And so we started building all of that, those pieces. And then from there, it was communicating that and then bringing in an ad agency to help deliver on the actual design of that. So that was really essential for us because we only had like one or two internal designers at the time. So we couldn't do that internally. And it was interesting because we're kind of going through just like a brand revisit currently at, at Proposify. And was a designer on the team who said this, and it was very true. And I really agreed with her. She said that sometimes if you do everything internally, you're biased, right? So you thinking a certain way and you fall victim to your own biases. And I was like, that's absolutely true. So I think in some capacity, if you're ever doing a rebrand or refresh, you have to have some external consultation just to make sure that we're not running into an issue where we're being the victim of our biases. So We used an external agency and that helped us bring in three or four concepts. And then we presented them to a customer focus group, as well as our internal stakeholders. And we picked the winner. So that was how we approached it internally. It wasn't completely internally. Most of the work was in-house, but we did leverage the design expertise of the external agency. Yeah, I think you hit another topic that's really interesting to me, which is when do you do it in-house versus bring in someone externally? And I think my experience of startups is that there's a bias against bringing in external help. And I don't know if it stemmed from a cost perspective or if there was this sense of, we know our business best, and so we should just do it all ourselves. But one of the things that I kind of think about when I'm asked, when do you consider bringing it in-house or having somebody externally I think external is really useful when you want a different perspective or when you have a capacity issue. So in one case of my last company, we had actually wanted to launch a new brand for an event that we were running. It was our customer conference. We wanted to brand it. And we actually came up with the name ourselves. But in terms of doing the identity, we just didn't have the capacity. We were so busy just executing on sort of what we were responsible for in the day-to-day business that we thought it would be really nice to bring in someone who had the capacity, but also was a true brand designer. And it ended up working really great. And there are times where it really does make sense. So I think that you described a scenario, which is kind of a nice hybrid, that there are pieces, especially around the production, that you might still be able to do internally. But it sounds like it was really beneficial to have that external perspective. It's true. I think external advertisers or agencies there's a lot of street cred, like they have a lot of street cred and you want to be able to go to an ad agency to get that 
great concept. But I absolutely agree with you working in-house for a long time is that for some reason, there's a hesitancy to use ad agencies. And I don't know why that happens. And I do agree with you that it sometimes can be because of budget, but that's not necessarily the right choice. And I think it's really important as a marketer to be that voice of reason, because if you don't have the resources internally, you risk wasting a lot of time. So it may be worth spending that money up front. If you have a great relationship or previous relationship with an agency that you can trust, or for example, if you know people in the community who have worked with a particular agency, I think there's less of a risk there. There is a resistance for sure, but I think it's really important for us as leadership to wave the flag that makes sense for the business. It could be that you have a fantastic internal team. There could be enough of them and they might have the talent and the expertise to do it. But if they don't, then I think ad agencies are the way to go. I've learned so much over the last five years in working with external agencies. And again, they're experts in certain things. And I just think that it's pretty challenging in an early stage startup to have a team that has expertise in every aspect of marketing or every aspect of design. And the other thing I've seen change in the last five years is I do feel like the bar has gotten higher in terms of what people expect with B2B. I think B2B kind of got away with not needing a brand to the same degree because it was all just about the product. And I still think the product is front and center, but I feel like people care about the community that this brand is creating. I think they care about the level of polish that a company is bringing to its audience. A lot of this might even be like a subconscious perception, but I don't know if you agree and feel free to disagree. I like debating, but I feel like things have changed for B2B and it's not enough to just be focused on demand gen. I do think that investing in the brand side of things is proving to really be valuable on the B2B side as well. What do you think? I was just having this conversation today. Like it's absolutely fine that you're saying this because demand gen will never win on its own. Like if you're just spending money out and you know, you really need to invest in brand and it's even more important now in an economic situation. I hate the word economic downturn. I feel like it's been overused just as much as chat GPT these days. I think that it's really important to invest in brand. A community is going to be big. I think it's about NRR, like B2B companies are looking at net retention rate. They're looking at how do they keep customers. And it's really about the brand. What are we doing from a brand perspective? How are we standing out in a unique way that resonates in a really meaningful way to your buyers? And what is the value? Is there a community? And what are they getting out of that community? What is the value that they're getting, not only from the product, but from the people of the brand? So That's, I think, what marketers should be focusing on a lot, always, maybe debatably, but specifically this year. I think it's going to be very important. I'd love to get your thoughts reflecting back on the brand building you've done, the brand refreshes in particular that you've done. Is there anything that you would advise other marketers who are listening to do? And it could be things you did well, things that you wish you did differently when it comes to investing in brand and specifically tackling something like a brand refresh, any lessons learned along the way? So a couple of things, 
I think it's really important to bring your buyer and prospect or your customer along for the ride. So it's never doing this in isolation, never, ever do this in isolation with the marketing team. It's about your stakeholders. It's about buying from your executive team. It's about bringing the customer along, understanding what their pain points are today, understanding how they engage with the brand, what the brand means to them, what they would love to see more of. So if you're just doing it with your small team or a project like this, you're never going to win. You're never going to get the brand to where it needs to go. And that's really the golden standard is that you're doing this to grow the brand. So the company's successful. It's not about like this marketing team thing. So I think that's the biggest lesson and early in my career, very early, that's how I looked at it is this this marketing thing that we're doing, but it's not, it's everyone. And that means even partners potentially. So that would be my biggest tip. That's great advice. It's something that marketers struggle with as well. And this is a bit of a unexpected question maybe, but have you learned anything from the experience of bringing the founders or the C-suite along in this process? Because I think to your point, this isn't something that only lives in marketing. I think you need to get not just buy-in, but contributions from other people in the business. How do you do that? Has anything helped you build the skills to be able to do that? Yeah. Every C-suite and company is always a little bit different. Some CEOs and founders will be really into it and they want to be involved at every single step of the way. And then some are kind of like, you know what, you handle it. Just consult me on some of the aspects of the brand. But I think the more you can bring in the founders, in my experience, has been better. Although it really depends on, <laughs> on the founder. I've been lucky at Proposify, for example, where our founders are very marketing savvy. So they came actually from an ad agency. Proposify started with Kevin and Kyle working at an ad agency, sending out proposals. They hated the process. They're like, we need to develop something that fixes this for ad agencies and did. And our first segment was ad agencies, very marketing savvy folks working on anything brand with them is so much fun. Kyle actually like he's very involved and we're great partners on that. He'll take certain video shoots. He'll create certain things because he just loves it. That doesn't happen often. The cloud company working with it, very senior it leaders who've been in the business for a very, very long time. They were kind of like, we want to know, but we don't really want to be involved in it that much. So you kind of try to get everybody involved, but sometimes it won't go that way. So it's kind of working with what you have. That's a good point. I think a lot of this comes down to the choices you make in the teams you choose to join. So if you're a marketing leader in particular, I do think that that's an important thing to know about yourself. Are you somebody who really wants to own brand demand product marketing, or do you want to be sort of in more of a functional area where the company that you work in really has more of an orientation towards growth, let's say, or product marketing or any of these functions. And then ask those questions in the interview process, because like you said, there's no one type of founder. And sometimes there are justifiable reasons for focusing in a certain way or the other. So I think your point was really good that you might get two different teams that want to approach brand very differently. And you can either have a frustrating experience or you can have a really enjoyable experience, I think, by doing a bit of that self-reflection and choosing the right partner. And also just really develop the racy with your executive team. Like who's responsible, who's consulted, 
and who's informed and figure all that out up front. And then just let everyone know that way the right people are going to be involved throughout all the stages of the brand project. Excellent. I always like to end with just a bit more of a fun, personal, rapid fire session. So I'll just fire away. First question is, what is a brand that you admire and why? I love everything that Gong is doing from a B2B perspective. Shout out to Gong. (laughs) By the way, Proposify integrates with Gong. I just love everything they're doing from a brand perspective. Udi, who I believe is their silly CMO, I think he was moving into an evangelist role right now, but he's just fantastic. I love his viewpoint as a CMO. Like he's all about testing. Like they did the Gong Super Bowl ad last year. They do like event ads. We are a Gong customer as well. I attended their Gong roadshow. The event was done so well. Love their personality. I can go on and on and on. That's my favorite brand. What is a favorite product or experience you've spent money on in the last year? The Calm app is like my favorite. It's it's the one that I continue to spend money on just to help me meditate. It helps me be calm before bed. It's so important as like marketing leaders to balance your day. So it helps me balance. And I mean, CapCut's been great. My daughter actually told me about CapCut as an editing tool. It's fantastic. And then last question, what is one thing you're looking forward to in 2023? I am looking forward to just saying no to meetings all this year. I am like really protecting my time this year. So I'm just focused on really looking at my schedule, looking at my time, looking at my meetings and just saying no to a lot of things so I can have time to do the great things. Sounds great. And I know that we are wrapping up. So if people would like to hear more about you or learn more about you, where can they find you online? You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter, Nadi Milani. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Nadia. That was a really interesting chat. Like I said, the time just flew by and I'm excited to share this with our listeners. Thanks so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I'm grateful to Nadia for joining me today and getting into a lot of the nitty gritty of what it's like to be a startup marketing leader and what she's focused on at Proposify. That wraps up another episode of Standout Startup Brands. This is your host, Amrita Gurney, signing off from Toronto. See you next time.